don't fix me, just listen. That doesn't tell a guy anything because you've seen this, right? right? A lot of guys were, okay, now, okay, I know that I can't fix. Right. So now I'm just going to listen. And then and they sit there like a statue. Right, with deer in the headlights. <laughs> and they think they're doing a good job. And not moving. They're doing the best they can. And, and the, why, the woman's going, what the crap is that? Yeah, and why so aren't I, you listening? <laughs> it's amazing how many guys I have taught this. I thought it was too basic. I thought it was almost insulting email to teach people this, right. especially guys. But I actually literally teach them, stop, look, and listen is you stop whatever it is you're doing. If your wife is in your proximity, in your field of vision, I don't care what it is. Stop what you're doing. Put your phone down. Mm -hmm. Close it. Put it in your pocket. Put your laptop down. Stop. Look. Physically square your shoulders to her shoulders. Look in her eyes directly. And then hit the back of your head like a bobblehead doll and get that head nodded, okay? <laughs> this is where the listening starts. We get some physiological This is Jonathan. Listening. He looks like a bobblehead right now. <laughs> right. He actually slapped the back of his head and he started wobbling his head in the nod, yes. Uh, and then I've written down a script for guys and we're in session writing down, okay, now say these words. Uh-huh. Yeah. What else? Really? Tell me more. Tell me more. That's important <laughs> to you. What else? Welcome to LDS Perspectives Podcast, where we explore aspects of LDS doctrine, history, and culture. Digging deeper and having a whole lot of fun. Learning about things that affect our lives and our faith. We are everyday Mormons sharing extraordinary conversations. I'm Emil Harker. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And with me today is Jonathan D. Sherman, also a licensed marriage and family therapist. A fantastic guy. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to be talking about and exploring the deeper and darker side of the pursue-withdraw syndrome or that dynamic. There's so many different terms that describe that pursue-withdraw syndrome. And what we want to do is we're going to talk a little bit about what it is how prevalent it is, and what can people do if they find themselves in that situation, how they can break out of the cycle. Right, right. Sounds good. All right, so I actually did some research. Okay. I found out, I was just kind of brainstorming uh -huh. how many different ways people call this syndrome. Ready? Okay. Okay. Lay it on me. All right. Here we go. Different names for the same problem. Okay. Some of these terms are pretty lame. Interlocking vulnerabilities. Oh, brother. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and here's another one. The vulnerability cycle, the problematic couple interaction cycle. Mm. There should be like hyphens. Yeah. There should be hyphens there. The pursuer distancer, the demanding withdrawn cycle, and there's another one that kind of develops. It's like this escalated pursue withdraw called the attack withdraw. Mm -hmm. So pursue advances. You can graduate in your relationship conflict to go from pursue to attack, yeah. withdraw. So those are some some nifty uh, terms that other people have used to describe this. I'll tell you what I like about that email is that the best thing to to give people is overwhelming amounts of psychobabble that confuses them and makes everything unuseful. That's great, yeah. Good place to start, yeah. Now they can all be completely lost. Right. Or they can find, hey, I like those terms better. So pick whichever right. term... <laughs> Whatever term you like, pick the term and you you can use that. But right. we we I just call it the pursue withdraw syndrome because I think there there's this stuckness to that process and people don't even realize that they're in it. They don't even realize it, yeah. And then they they in the sense of desperation, they become more and more blind to try to get their needs met, and that's kind of what happens with that pursue problem. Mm -hmm. 
They don't have their needs met. And what do they do? They up the ante in terms of trying to get the other person to provide them their needs. Right, right. So you've been doing this for a long time, John. Long time, yep. The benefit of that is I know everything. So sure. I'm here to answer every question you have. No, but I've been doing this for 20 plus years, as probably you have as well. Right. And so you definitely see this pursue withdraw dynamic. I call it the dynamic, you call it syndrome. Either way, we're talking about the same thing. And what I like about helping people understand the pursue withdraw dynamic is is rather than looking at it from just the pathology, which a lot of these terms that you, you, that you brought up from the research, is it, it gets very pathology-focused, and there's usefulness in understanding that, being aware of it. Like you said, one of the biggest problems is that people just aren't aware it's happening. Right. And so you can't really do a whole lot with a dynamic if you don't know what's going on. But what I always let people know is that this pursue-withdraw dynamic, it's actually in every single relationship, and it's on a spectrum. In the most healthy, functional, happy, successful relationships, the pursue-withdraw dynamic exists. Right. I'll but it, but yeah. it exists in a very elegant, sophisticated way that looks like a, like dancers dancing. The cha-cha, dude, that's what it is. Yeah, it really is. You pursue-withdraw, and there's not too much distance, and you take turns doing uh-huh. the pursue-withdraw. That's the dance that should happen. There's the dance that should happen. There's, so there's a lot of elegance, and there's a lot of practice in it. And sometimes people are just maybe just naturally good at it. That's great, but most of us aren't. And the good news is that we can learn how to do the dance. Whereas if it's on the other side of the spectrum, where it's these pathology-based ones because they become so dysfunctional, right? then it's just a lot of crashing and banging into each other, and there's not a lot of sophistication or elegance or beauty in it. It's just a lot of pain and stepping on toes, and just it, it can really damage relationships. Like you said, it can really get relationships stuck in some bad places. So I thought of some classic examples that people might be able to relate to. Yeah. And... Sometimes we, they're kind of grouped sometimes in gender-based, but mm-hmm. the, the research shows that that's kind of an overgeneralization. Sure. It's really about whoever has a higher interest in a certain topic. So sometimes the pursue-withdraw system can be topic-based. For example, mm-hmm. the pursue-withdraw process in sex, mm, okay? right? The traditional thing, and this is not just always this way, but in general, the guy has a higher sex drive because mm-hmm. it's more on his head. Right. And what does he do? He wants more sex. So he pursues more sex. Right. Now, the wife in this process is trying to have less sex and more emotional closeness. Right. So the more he pursues for sex, the less emotionally fulfilled she becomes. Right. So the more she withdraws. Right. The more she withdraws, the more neglected and rejected he feels. So what does he do? Pursues more. That's right. And so mm-hmm. more pursue, more rejection, more pursue, more rejection. And then what normally happens to kind of reset the cycle, the husband gets upset and frustrated, mm-hmm. puts his foot down and says, you know what? <laughs> I ain't even, you know what? If this is how things are going to be, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm uh-huh. done. Right. So he stops pursuing. Right. And then in order for her to maintain that threshold of closeness, she comes to him. This is not all the time, by the way. Uh-huh. She comes to him and says, I'm sorry. I'm tr- I, I need to work on my stuff, and let's be close. Right. And so now we reset the cycle, and it happens all over again. So it can be with sex, with men. Mm-hmm. It can be women and time and attention. Right. Describe it. The woman looking for attention and time and how that cycle would go with the clients that you work with. Absolutely. I think this is where 
Um, and like you said, it's not gender specific, but there are some gender patterns that some historically have happened. And, and so in this type of way that you're talking about, this is where the woman is pursuing for that time and attention. And maybe she, maybe she starts off softly and asking nicely, maybe not even asking because women tend to hint a little bit more and want you to kind of get, you know, if you really love me, you'll kind of tune into my needs. So I'll just drop little hints here and there. So that's my pursuit. And he doesn't really pick up on it, so I perceive he's withdrawing. So I, if I'm the woman, I pursue more, right. maybe get a little bit louder, maybe more direct or more upset or more frustrated or whatever. And then I ask again, and, and he, he withdraws. <laughs> and then it finally, it gets to the point where now I'm nagging, and I'm the nag and the complainer or the B word or whatever else. Right. And then, of course, I, as the woman, hate being perceived that way. And, of course, the guy hates being nagged. So it's this pursue, withdraw, pursue, withdraw, pursue, withdraw. And it starts creating, if you kind of imagine, I was thinking of the, uh, explain the pursue, withdraw is like magnets, mm-hmm. you know, and the poles are not working with each other and they're repelling. And so as she pursues, he withdraws more. And as she pursues, he withdraws more. As she pursues, he withdraws more. And the more he withdraws, the more she pursues. You got it. But what happens is not only that pushing... It's like it's like a it's like one of those maglev high speed trains. <laughs> is that it actually starts increasing the momentum more and more and more. So the point that even if she does finally stop, he doesn't all of a sudden stop right. too and start then pursuing back as she withdraws. No, what happens is as she's pursuing, he withdraws, and then let's say she stops. Well, he just keeps the momentum and inertia. It's like a train. You, you may it. have stopped the engine of the pursuit engine. But it still keep has this momentum and inertia that just keeps carrying it and carrying it. And then the real trick is for her to not jump back into pursuit. Because right. as soon as he as he's withdrawing further, she realizes there's less emotional connection. Then the natural tendency is to go, oh my gosh, we're getting farther apart. I need to pursue more. And then that whole um, that emo- panic that happens. panic sets in. And then of course, then she seems like more of a nag. Which is just not... It perpetuates It just cycle. perpetuates the cycle and stereotype. And so part of it is learning how to finesse this pursue-withdraw dynamic and use it. So when you start to... When you start realize you're pursuing too much, recognize the withdrawal is happening and then start to do micro-withdrawals. Not a full right. withdrawal, not a full like disengagement, but I'm going to start withdrawing and allow the person who's got the momentum of withdrawing already, allow them to continue to withdraw. Right. And then what's important is that that person has to learn to manage their panic, like you said. Right, Because this right. is a very, on both sides, pursue and withdraw, it's a very fear-driven response. Right. I'm afraid that he's leaving more. I'm afraid that she's going to pursue me more. And again, it could be vice versa. Right. Now, before you start to give them too much good stuff about what to do... Oh, we don't want to go there. <laughs> so what we're going yeah. to do is, let's talk a little bit about what drives people to pursue, mm-hmm. okay? And there's a variety of things. And let's talk about what drives people to withdraw. Right. Okay? Sure. So if I'm looking at someone who's pursuing outside of the balance, this is getting into the pathology of mm-hmm. it, it's we're not recognizing that the other person's withdrawal is something that they need for themselves to recover or to to get some emotional reprieve. Right. And so like you were describing how that that inertia happens, mm-hmm. if, if people think that as soon as they stop being a pursuer, it's an immediately going to create a, a you know, the other person's going to come running back, mm-hmm. the normal thing is that there's a sense of relief in the person's being pursued. Right. And they go, finally, I get a break. Right. But it doesn't end there. And that's where people... And they think at that moment that the problem's solved. Right. Right. And then if the person can be, the pursuer can be a little bit more patient, uh-huh. the emotional threshold, that person's not getting that closeness that who was withdrawing, 
now begins to start to move toward, but it doesn't happen overnight. And I think that's when we talk about what to do, we just need to recognize that that's the pattern. Mm -hmm. And so if the pursuer in the pathology, the way I describe it in its simplest term is they're trying to fill a sense of emptiness, Mm -hmm. whether that's pursuing for sex, pursuing for time, Mm -hmm. attention, validation. Yeah. There's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza. (laughs) And what they're hoping for is the other person has the juice to fill up that hole permanently. Right. The problem is, is there's a hole in the bucket. And so there isn't enough that they can get. Right. And so that's one of the reasons why a person might pursue for attention, Mm -hmm. time, they might be using the sex as a way to make them feel valued, so they're pursuing for sex. Another thing might be for my sense of power. I know mm-hmm. that sounds terrible, but if I can conquer or tame mm-hmm. the wild stallion, right, or the guy who conquers the elusive, you know, mysterious woman, right, then somehow I become valid, right. That's why I'm pursuing. Yeah, and it's empty. Yeah. So is that been your experience too? Absolutely. I think that I think that really nails it on the head. This this uh, this emptiness, the the fear, the need, all of these things need to be met. And if we don't know that, then we're just going to keep pushing this pursuit dry d- dynamic, and in ways that are stuck, that are ineffective, that just create more frustration and futility, which then leaves us kind of going. Well, with most couples asking the question, "What's wrong with me? Right? What's wrong with my partner? What's wrong with us?" without realizing that there actually might not be anything inherently wrong with me or my partner or with us. Right, exactly. It's that there's a, a, there's a, a, a crucial lack of knowledge about this pursue-withdraw dynamic. Right, how to use the pattern. And then how to actually use it for our benefit rather than just get used by it and yeah, worn yeah, yeah. out with it and stuff. So. so talk a little bit about why the person withdraws. What, what is it about the person who you know, seems to be withdrawing all the time? Every time there's an advance for closeness or intimacy... Mm-hmm. The other person doesn't respond, you know, reciprocally. They're mm-hmm. kind of pulling away. Why would the guy do that? Or why would she do that? Well, okay, so an example why, I think with, with sex, you kind of talked about why she might withdraw. But let's say in a conversation where, uh, and, and typically, again, we're going to talk in, in typical scenarios, realize not everybody fits the stereotype of male-female uh, differences, but oftentimes women do prefer to process relationships, emotions, conflicts, issues. They want to process them verbally externally in the relationship. Whereas guys typically will just kind of want to process internally or just not process at all because there's <laughs> nothing to process. But if I'm going to process internally, that's where I kind of want to be in that cave scenario. And so all of a sudden, maybe I'm just kind of in my little, as, as let's say I'm the guy, I'm just like, okay, everything's fine. There's not a problem. And all of a sudden my wife comes in and tells me, hey, there's this issue. There's this problem. And I'm looking around, I'm going, there's no problem. Yeah, where, where was yeah. our problem? Where's I thought problem? we were getting along. We were just getting along fine. And so now it comes in this position where when my wife comes in with that look on her face or, hey, we need to talk, that triggers something's wrong, something's not good, I failed again, I'm not seeing something, and because I, either I'm not seeing it because I'm an idiot or she's making up stuff because she's a nag. And so all I have in that experience is pain. And what do I want to do? I want Well, anybody wants to do, you touch a, you touch a hot stove, you get away from it. Right. You want to avoid pain. And also the other thing that happens for a lot of guys is that they feel impotent. They don't have power. Like you said, power is important. I'm not talking about being power. When I talk with my couples, I want them to be powerful, not powerful over each other. 
but I want them to feel powerful with themselves and powerful in their relationship. That they, just like you feel powerful if you're playing athletics, when you feel powerful when you drive your car knowledgeably and safely and drive fast and have fun. I want people to have that kind of power in their relationships. And a lot of times people are feeling not good enough, that they can't succeed, that I can I can go out and be successful in my job, but I can't even manage a basic conversation without it turning into World War Three again. And I failed as a man. And I failed as a man. It's never enough. It's never good enough. And no, even if I try to give the right answer or I try to listen, I'm not listening the correct way or I'm not talking the right way or I'm not sharing enough. Or it's like, where on earth, how can I ever win or be successful? And so, you know, when people feel not good enough enough... They right. just shut down and shut out. And if I'm a guy in my natural tendency in communication, not because of a conflict or an issue, but just as a guy, I tend to maybe want to not have as much verbal external processing as maybe my female partner might, then it's going to be easier for me to just reinforce that withdrawal further. Right. What, and might, what more, might be yeah. just a normal male withdrawing as a way of processing and just dealing with stuff can get exacerbated. Because now it's conflict-based and it's impotency-based and it's not good enough-based right. and it's fear-based and it's pain-based. Right. And now I'm going to run away and every time my wife even hints mm-hmm. about my inadequacy... Here we go again. I'm going to run to the cave. Right. Because I don't care who you are, the way fear works is once bitten, twice shy. And so, if you know, fear's job... Fear gets a bad rap and fear can definitely be problematic, but fear is also really useful. Fear keeps us alive. Fear's job is to protect us from pain. We remember pain. When I when we were kids, we touched a hot stove. We remembered pain. Don't do that again. And so when we're in this type of emotional or relational pain, the fear response is, don't do that again. Right. Withdraw. So let's talk about what can we do as the pursuer and or the withdrawer if we're kind of stuck in a situation like this. If our relationships seem to be stuck in this pattern, let's talk about some things that we can do. And I think... Mm-hmm. Having the understanding that you've been able to help us explore of why we pursue pathologically mm-hmm. and why we withdraw pathologically, it'll give us some some insights about what we can do differently. Right. So in your example before about the person who's needs who's pursuing and they want to change the cycle, it's mm-hmm. stop pursuing. Mm-hmm. Now this is so much easier said than done, right? Oh, yeah. Because the vulnerability, the craving of the attention of the other person is what's driving the desperate attempts to pursue. Right. But in, inherently in the actual stopping is where the magic begins to happen in that person. Yeah, well Because said. the process yeah. of stopping, I'm not relying on the other person to give me the validation. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to validate myself. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways in which I can stop pursuing if my pursuit is kind of trying to fill up this emptiness inside mm-hmm. I call it filling up the hole with a W. Not okay. a win, but by becoming whole, W-H-O-L-E. That's okay. how you feel the H-O-L-E. Uh-huh. So focus in on the things that make us feel good inherently. Balanced life. Instead of putting your energy into the other person to give you a sense of fulfillment, put your energy into the things that you believe that are good and a part of your values. Mm-hmm. So... You know, taking care of yourself physically, go out for a run, mm-hmm. read a good book for recreational entertainment, yeah. work on other relationships that are important to you, spend some more time with friends, maybe develop your relationship intellectually or spiritually or all of them and keep them balanced. And if I'm balanced now in all those components, mm-hmm. now I have a sense of self-centeredness. I'm okay and I become less needy because I'm becoming more whole. 
If I do that, I've done two things. I've become whole, and I've given some space and distance to the withdrawee. Mm -hmm. So now that person can now make a decision not reactive, but now pursue me now Mm -hmm. because of the desire for closeness. Because let's be honest, if I'm balanced, I'm sexy. Yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit about what can the withdrawer do? Now that he knows the pattern, if he sees his spouse pursuing, how can he or she change the dynamics even if the pursuer doesn't even know the plan? Right, right. Because the nice thing about this is that it's a very predictable dynamic and it's in every relationship. And since it's a predictable dynamic that's going to repeat is that any person, it's great if both are informed, but only one person has to be informed to change this pattern. We just have to interrupt the loop, interrupt the cycle. And so while there's a lot of strategies we can use, the overarching umbrella, the one word that sums up everything that certainly what you described fits under this umbrella as well is safety. Mm-hmm. If fear is the driver for both the pursue, pursuit and the withdrawal dynamic, and the answer and antidote to fear is safety, anywhere that we can make it safe starts to soothe and reassure anxiety, stress, anxiety, fear that it's going to be okay, and here's how. Okay. And so if I'm the withdrawer, let's say if I understand this dynamic, and I let's see, okay, now why? If I only see my partners coming after me, let's say using that negative term of nag, mm-hmm. and that's all I've seen before, but if I can reframe that and understand that, wait a minute, is it that she's just nagging me, or is it that she might even if I don't agree with her delivery on the surface, maybe underneath, she might actually have a legitimate concern. And even if I don't agree with her concern, is she in legitimate pain because of this concern? Well, I might not, as a withdrawer, necessarily care or agree about the concern, but I do care that this person is in pain because even though we may fight and argue, I'm actually really not a jerk. I'm actually really a fairly decent guy, and I really am compassionate. I don't want my wife to suffer. I just don't know how to do this differently, but if I know how to do this differently and see it differently and realize that she's in pain and she's pursuing because she has a need that's not being addressed and she doesn't know how to address it without me, I don't know how to address it either. So as the withdrawer, I can now do, as she's pursuing, I can do a micro-pursue back. Strategic. Strategic pursuit back. So when she's going, hey, we have something to talk about. Or, she, or she's already talking about something. Maybe she brought it up nicely. Maybe she brought it up meanly. Right. Okay, either way. But I respond with, that matters to you. Tell me more. And I am going to have to, like you talk about filling the bucket, I'm going to have to really gear myself up physiologically, right. neurologically. I'm going to have to get myself in the game. So if you're into sports or anything... Get your game face get on. Get your game face on, man. Right. You've got to psych yourself out and realize I am in the fight of my life, not with her, but against the things that cause problems The dynamics. The dynamic gotcha. has become the enemy, not my spouse. I need to fight for me, for her, for us and fight against the dynamic that's not working. So part of what I'm going to do as a withdrawer, because my fear is, oh, crap, it's not going to be good enough. Right, I'm going to be empty. I'm going to be empty. No matter what I do, it's not going to work. And again, I'm impotent and powerless. But this time, I know what to do. I've got a strategy. It's not just listening, which for most guys isn't (laughs) really useful. Well, don't fix me, just listen. That doesn't tell a guy anything, because you've seen this, right? Right. A lot of guys were, okay, now, okay, I know that I can't fix, Right. so now I'm just going to listen. And then and they sit there like a statue. Right, with deer in the headlights. <laughs> and they think they're doing a good job. Head not moving. They're doing the best they can. And, and the, the woman's going, what that crap is that? Yeah, and why so aren't I, you listening? 
it's amazing how many guys I have taught this. I thought it was too basic. I thought it was almost insulting email to teach people this, right. especially guys. But I actually literally teach them, stop, look, and listen, is you stop whatever it is you're doing. If your wife is in your proximity, in your field of vision, I don't care what it is. Stop what you're doing. Put your phone down. Mm-hmm. Close it. Put it in your pocket. Put your laptop down. Stop. Look. Physically square your shoulders to her shoulders. Look in her eyes directly. And then hit the back of your head like a bobblehead doll and get that head nodded. Okay? <laughs> this is where the listening starts. We get some physiological This is Jonathan. Listening. He looks like a bobblehead right now. <laughs> right. He actually slapped the back of his head and he started wobbling his head in the nod. Yes. Uh, and then I've written down a script for guys. And we're in session writing down, okay, now say these words. Uh-huh. Yeah. What else? Really? Tell me more. Tell me more. That's important <laughs> to you. What else? I uh-huh. like how you say that's important to you because that way you show like you're really caring, right. but you really don't care. Right. <laughs> I love that. Because the topic really may not be that important to you. Right. But she is. But she is. And that's the workaround. My wife and I, when we were first married, I don't we used to have the biggest, stupidest fights about the bed and the <laughs> pillows and how to make the bed the right way, which is her way. Of course. Clearly. And that we had, and that you had to put that, you had to make the bed with all these pillows. We had eight pillows. I, I, I'm 24. That you don't use, right. by the way. Two are functional, right? We have two heads, right. two pillows. You understand this, Emo. I, I, okay. Yep. But there's eight pillows that matter to her on this bed, which serves no purpose. And as a guy, that makes no sense to me. 24 years later, I still don't see the utility of it. But not only do the pillows need to be on the bed, they need to be in the right order and fluffed appropriately. And we're having fights over this. And you couldn't convince her? No. (laughs) And so for me to ever get to a place that I cared about pillows was never going to happen. And I can promise 24 years later, I don't care about pillows. But somewhere through this listening process and me stopping withdrawing and instead engaging and saying, this matters to you, at least allowed me, not just her, to be heard, but for me to start hearing why would it matter to her. It doesn't have to matter to me. I don't have to agree that this matters, but if I can start hearing why it matters to her, then I can do a workaround that is authentic. Because I, for to, to pretend that I care is going to, she's going to see through that and, and I'm, I don't want to be a phony guy. But I can get authentic when I realize that I don't have to care about the pillows. I have to care that it matters to her and I want her to know that she matters to me. And that's what I can do in my listening. And then if I'm preparing myself that way and I'm breathing and keeping myself calm and not getting agitated and just staying in the game and not interrupting and all these good, healthy communication things, then I get to not only, not only does she get to be heard, which is good for her and fills her bucket and validates her, but I get to be powerful. I get to have potency I get to be the man who provides a need for her that protects her emotional being. I get to be man. Fan-freaking-tastic. I know that we don't have time to cover all the different strategies Mm -hmm. on how we can approach people, but listeners out there, if you want to get a hold of Jonathan, how would they get a hold if you have questions for you? Yeah, best way is just go to my website, which is marriageenvy.com. Dot com. And envy is spelled out, right? Yeah, E-N-V-Y. Marriageenvy.com. All right. All right. If you have questions for me, it's emoharker.com. Mm-hmm. And we're happy to answer your question. Just email us. We're happy to do that. Fantastic information. I hope that these people, those listeners, can find some really good, valuable stuff in here. 
thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Big time. Okay. We'll have you go on again, hopefully Great. soon. We'll, we'll bash around another idea and, uh, and make marriages more amazing everywhere. Sounds good. Great talking to you, brother. Here's what's coming up on the next episode of the LDS Perspectives podcast. And maybe give us a little bravery to read those chapters instead of having sticky pages. I think that's right. What's needed is bravery. That's a good way to put it. Isaiah's tough and people get excited, you know, on New Year's resolution, I'm going to read Isaiah this year, right? And I'm going to get serious about this in two chapters. By the way, it's never been my New Year's resolution. (laughs) Good. But yeah, I think people tend to start reading Isaiah and they get a couple of chapters in and they just throw up their hands and say, what do you do with a cow and a sheep? And but what, what does this even mean? But I try to give enough resources in there to say, look, here's how to find a good commentary so that when you come across a passage where you can just go, I have no idea, here's how to find some answers. Here are what translations you might look at as alternatives to the King James to help you sort of get oriented. Here's how to understand what Nephi's doing so you don't assume that everything Nephi tells you about Isaiah gives you all the information you need. Yeah, it needs some bravery, uh, but it also we also need some tools. LDS Perspectives Podcast is not affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the guest and podcaster alone, and LDS Perspectives Podcast and its parent organization may or may not agree with them. While the ideas presented may vary from traditional understandings or teachings, they in no way reflect criticism of LDS church leaders, policies, or practices.